Hi, this is Luke. And this is Albert. Today is Monday, the 5th of October. And welcome to the Telescope Investing Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to talk about emotions, particularly when it comes to investing. Emotions can make you make investing mistakes and hold back your portfolio returns, but there are ways to deal with them. We thought we'd talk about this topic because we had the question from one of our long-term readers. She asked, how do I manage my emotions when I'm invested in my portfolio? So today we're going to try and tackle that topic. But before we do, have you got a story of the week for us, Albert? Yes. I read last week quite an amusing story about a company called Nikola. If you're not familiar with Nikola, they are a new electric car company named after Nikola Tesla. It has nothing to do with the company Tesla, except that they are trying to be their rivals. It's got everything to do with the company Tesla. Didn't they steal their IP, stole a load of their engineers? Allegedly. But the interesting thing last week was that a company called Hindenburg Research wrote a scathing report about them, saying that they were committing fraud about their products. And then the company denied this, but the CEO then suddenly resigned. Did you read the full report? It was really interesting. I didn't read the full report, but I heard that the allegation was that Nikola made a video of an early product of one of their electric trucks moving along a road. And the rumor was that it didn't actually work. What they did was they put the car or the truck on a hill and basically turn the camera at a slight angle and let the car roll down the hill, making it appear to be moving along the road. But based on this video, they secured a $2 billion investment from GM. If you read the report and watch the video, it's quite amusing. There are a whole bunch of allegations in there against Nikola and also against the founder, Trevor Milton. Allegations about stolen IP, allegations about trying to pass other people's technology off as their own, doing silly things like just putting a sticker over the manufacturer of the motherboard to try and pretend that they've manufactured it rather than just buying it in from a third party. Sounds like they've been doing quite a few things fraudulently. So one thing I thought was interesting is the company that published this are a fairly notorious short seller. Sometimes these reports can be put out just to move the market and it can be done in quite an unethical way. But I do think this time, although it's still allegation and not fact, there might be some truth in what's being reported. Well, especially with the CEO resigning so suddenly. Yeah, that CEO, interesting guy. I just read a quote from him from a year or two ago. He said, there's very few people that can out Elon in this world. I'm one of them. That's your mention of Elon Musk this week. Ticked that box. <laughs> this story really is reminiscent of the Theranos story and Elizabeth Holmes, if you remember that one, Luke. I do, yeah. I think she's still waiting to go to trial. But yes, yeah, similar pattern, I guess. A highly charismatic founder driving the company and perhaps trying to sell technologies that allegedly didn't exist. It will be very interesting to see what happens now that GM basically is running Nikola. Yeah, they took a 10% stake. I, I wonder if this is egg on GM's face. Possibly. The GM vice chairman, Steve Gersky, is now in charge of Nikola. So good luck to him. Yeah, good luck, Steve. Should we get to the main show? Yes. So today we're going to talk about emotional investing, or more specifically, how to avoid it. But to kick it off, maybe we should just have a quick discussion around why we invest irrationally. What do you think, Albert? I think one thing that makes us trade badly is that we don't like losing. I know that sounds obvious, but I think research has shown that people dislike losing a lot more than they like winning. So people in general would do what they can to avoid losing. Yeah, I remember reading some behavioral economics research that implied it was preferable to win 
$50 than to win $100 and then lose $50. The net result's the same, but just that volatility and the sense of losing can put investors off of that choice. I believe Daniel Kahneman discussed a lot of this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, which I read a few years ago. And I recommend to anybody who wants to look into this more deeply. Yeah, it's really good to understand what's happening inside your own head. By understanding what drives your thinking, it's the first step to trying to control it and to be more rational when markets are in a panic. So the fear of losing is often the cause or reason for why people make these bad decisions. When markets enter a really volatile time and when valuations are falling, you can kick out of your rational investor mode into more of a fight or flight response and just start reacting rather than planning and investing rationally. And on the other side, when markets are rising, you might feel exuberance or greed even and want to get more profit by buying more. Yeah, absolutely. I guess that's what leads to some of these bubbles, particularly around, say, stocks like Nikola, where everyone thinks it's the next Tesla, the next hot thing. The fear of missing out leads to that wild exuberance and crazy valuations that aren't really backed up by the reality. I think that's a key phrase, Luke, the fear of missing out. Yeah. So that's why we sometimes invest irrationally. But what can we do about it? Well, first of all, you should acknowledge that you have these emotions, but you don't have to act on them. It's natural to feel bad when you lose and happy when you win, but it doesn't mean you have to do anything about it. Yeah, exactly. When you're a long way from retirement, as most of our listeners are, when the market's falling, it doesn't matter because you don't need that money. You're invested for the long term. These are all just the little bumps and the fluctuations. Things go up, things go down. But over the 10-year time frame, you can be much more assured that you're going to be in a positive position. Market downturns can take several years to recover. And if you need that money in the next couple of years, perhaps for a house purchase, perhaps to pay for an education for a child, or maybe even just an unexpected health concern, then you might find yourself having to pull your money out of the market when valuations are low. And that's really the kind of thing that's going to damage your long-term wealth. When you're a desperate seller, you have less options and you might accept the price lower than you would have got if you were not desperate. Yeah, I agree. I guess on today's podcast, we're going to focus on the emotions side of things, but it's worth saying we've got a couple of really good articles on the Telescope Investing website that deal with the topic of having a cash buffer and managing an overall portfolio. So in terms of managing our emotions, Albert, I think one thing that's quite important is to respond rather than reacting. It's really good to have a plan for your portfolio, and then you can always fall back on the plan and just work it through Whenever you feel the emotions rising, if you feel the over-exuberance or you feel the fear or the fear of missing out, fall back to your plan and that'll help be your guide in periods of craziness. This reminds me of a phrase from Warren Buffett, be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. But I think that's not particularly good advice. It's still reacting to market movements. What you should be doing is responding to news and your own financial situation and not panicking or reacting to market movements. Yeah, great point. Should we talk about diversification a bit? So diversification is all about trying to avoid any one major factor that could damage a large part of your portfolio. And you can diversify in lots of different ways. Do you want to give us some examples, Albert? Yes, you can diversify your portfolio by investing in different asset classes. Maybe have a part of your portfolio in bonds and part in stocks. At Telescope Investing, we are more focused on stock investing than bond investing, mainly for the fact that the returns you get from bonds are very low and it's very difficult to build wealth just by investing in bonds. 
So all the ways you can diversify your portfolio is to invest in different regions of the world. Stock markets tend to be cyclical, where different parts of the world can do better at different times. In the early 2000s, China was growing very quickly, much more quickly than the US. But for the last 10 years, the US has grown just as quickly as China. Other ways to diversify is to invest in different sectors, in different businesses. Some businesses can fail due to reasons outside the company's control. And one example from this year is that all the airline stocks went down because of COVID. No one's traveling anymore. Airlines can't make any revenue. You shared a really interesting idea with me just this morning. And you told me that you'd produce some views of your own portfolio looking at different dimensions. So you said you'd, for example, built a view of your portfolio broken down by each of the mega trends we're tracking to see if you are overexposed to one particular trend. Yes, I just analyzed my portfolio and tried to see how it was allocated across different currencies, different volatilities, and also different mega trends that we have. Instead of using sectors, I tend to think in mega trends. Actually, if I can plug myself, I wrote a article about this recently on our website. Well worth a read. So one way I try to think about diversification as well is in terms of PESTEL factors. PESTEL is an acronym that stands for Political, Economic, Social, Technological, Environmental, and Legal. These are basically ways of thinking about the different things that can impact a company, impact an investment. And so if there's one particular political event that could bring down the whole of your portfolio, for example, civil war in North America, who knows what's what's coming? And I've got my fingers crossed for our cousins across the pond. But if the US descends into full civil war, what does that mean for my portfolio? Like I'm fully invested in NYSE and NASDAQ. That could be pretty grim. I think if that happened, Luke, your portfolio is the least of your problems. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. So what else can we do to protect ourselves from being an emotional investor? Well, Luke, you sent me a really fascinating article a few months ago. The article was titled, Even God Couldn't Beat Dollar Cost Averaging. And it was really interesting because it showed that even if you knew when market crashes were going to happen and only invested when the, at market bottoms, you still wouldn't do as well as just investing regularly every month. Yeah, it's a good article. And I think it really brings it to life that trying to time the market is pretty hard. Not even hard, Luke, but even when you can do it perfectly, you still won't do as well as just investing regularly. So what's the answer? The answer is dollar cost averaging. Just have a plan and whether the market is up or down, invest a fixed amount. When the market is up, you're paying higher prices, but you're buying fewer units. But when the market is down, you're paying lower prices, but buying more units. The average cost that you pay is somewhere between the market low and the market high. When I want to buy into a new company, often I do a slightly different form of dollar cost averaging and I buy in thirds. I'm not going to go into detail now, but I've got an article on this on the website that's worth a quick read. I guess that's a way of doing dollar cost averaging with individual stocks. One other thing I do to manage my own emotions is I put in place something that I would consider to be an emotional hedge. I want something that's going to make me feel good when markets are going down because I'm going to feel good when markets are going up. And the way I do that is by having a bit of cash on the sidelines. And if I feel markets are really richly valued like they are today, that cash pile is probably a little bit bigger. And if I feel that markets are offering really good value, that cash pile's probably a little bit smaller. 
When I open my portfolio in the morning, if I see a sea of red and prices are down, actually I feel good because I know that that cash is available to invest at bargain prices. As we mentioned earlier, people don't like to lose. So one thing you can do to minimize this loss aversion is not to look at your stock prices or your portfolio too often. If you don't know you've lost, then you won't feel the pain of losing. It sounds crazy, but you're right. It's as simple as that. I know it can become addictive and you can find yourself compulsively checking your stock prices multiple times a day, but ultimately that's just going to lead to an emotional response to reacting rather than responding. You're right. Removing volatility is as simple as just don't look at it. One thing I do as well though is, but I look, but I don't touch. Here's my own approach to managing a trade I want to do. Maybe I want to buy something new. Maybe I want to reduce a position for some reason. So if I decide that's something I probably want to do, I put it on my investment to-do list and I park it there. And I try and leave it there and come back to the idea a week later and see how I still feel about it. And I feel really lucky being involved in the telescope investing community of investors because that gives me a really good collection of smart folk to collaborate with and exchange ideas and discuss. So I'll try and chew the fat over one of my trades quite a long way ahead of actually pulling the trigger. I do the same thing, Luke. If I want to buy or sell a stock, I don't do it straight away. I just put it on my to-do list and give myself time to really think about it, to do my research, to talk to you, to talk to some other people and get their views on it. And after that, and only after that, do I make the decision to buy or sell. And I try to do it regardless of where the market is. I see it as not so much timing the market, more like I'm doing a trade to manage my own portfolio. Something that's really helpful as well, is just the action of writing it down. Last year, you started your own investment diary, and I thought that was a great idea, and I started one of my own. And it was just a private journal and a way of recording my rationale and my thinking. My to-do list at that point became much more mature, I'd actually write down why I was thinking about doing a certain trade. And when I did finally execute the trade, I've then got something to look back at. Because a year later, I can look back at my rationale and my reasoning for doing that buy or that sell. And I can look and challenge myself and say, honestly, did that make sense? Is there a learning opportunity here for me in the way I'm managing my own portfolio? Actually, I should give credit where it's due. I actually got that idea from a finance writer called Morgan Housel. I read one of his articles and he suggested keeping an investing journal to log your thoughts and then have a reference of why you're buying or selling a stock. He's a smart guy with a lot of innovative ideas. I've just finished his book, The Psychology of Money. I highly recommend it to all of our listeners. So not checking your stock prices too often goes hand in hand with not trading too often. Remember, you are investing, you're not trading. You shouldn't be buying and selling stocks every day or every few days. Maybe a better strategy would be to invest once a month, maybe after payday, for example. Or even once or twice a year. Actually, if I look at my own portfolio, over the last 20 years of investing, I've probably executed no more than 10 trades a year on average. At Telescope Investing, when we buy something, we're buying it for the long term. We're not buying it to try and make a quick buck a few months down the road. Well, that's another thing you can do is to commit to a holding period. When you buy, you commit to yourself that you won't sell that stock in less than, say, three years. I guess I'll just caveat that and say, unless something material changes, unless your founder suddenly resigns because the technology has been proven to be a complete fraud, for example. Yes, for example. <laughs> Good example, Luke. So we've talked about why we may 
invest irrationally on some of the strategies to avoid these mistakes. But are there any concrete guidelines of when to buy or sell a stock? I don't know about concrete guidelines, but I guess I've got a few reasons why it might be correct to buy something or perhaps to add to a position you've already got. So just to read a few of those off, maybe you've just got new money to invest. You've got cash on the sidelines and you feel like it's better served by putting it in the market. It's money you don't need for the next five years. You might also think that a company you've been looking at has really good long-term growth prospects and it just feels like a good investment. You've done your homework, you've parked the idea on your to-do list, you've consulted your friends, and so you're ready to go for it. That's a good time to respond and act with your plan. And in terms of when to sell a stock, there are a couple of reasons that make sense. First of all, if you need the money, if you need the money, you just have to sell. But hopefully you won't be a desperate seller because you put in money that you didn't need for the next five years. Another reason to sell is you don't believe in the company anymore or the sector. For example, this year, you have no more faith in the airline industry. You don't feel they have a good future. I think both you and I, Luke, we got out of fossil fuel stocks many years ago because we didn't believe fossil fuels were going to be a growth industry over the next 10, 20 years. And also the ethics of it. We didn't want to support that industry with our investment dollars. If you don't agree with the values of a certain company, maybe their leadership has changed and their values have changed. Maybe you found out something that you didn't know before and you don't want to support this company anymore. Another reason to sell is if you think the valuation of the company has gotten too high. But you need to be careful about this because it's very difficult to judge when a company is, is overvalued. For example, for most of its history, Amazon has looked overvalued, but it has been an amazing investment over the last 20 years. So if you think a company has gotten overvalued, maybe err on the side of caution and do your research before pressing that sell button. And I think that's a great opportunity to reduce your exposure rather than selling completely. I've had to do this with Shopify over the last few years, where my original position just kept growing and growing. And at the point where it became uncomfortable for me and it was keeping me awake at night, those were the times when I felt I had to just trim a little bit off, still fully believed in the mission, but I was just too extended within my portfolio. Definitely, if a stock position is keeping you awake at night, then that is a good reason to sell as well. One thing we should highlight that we don't do at Telescope Investing, and that's margin trading and shorting stocks and using options and derivatives. Shorting stocks means that you are selling stocks with the intention of buying them back later at a lower price. Basically, you are betting that the stock price of this company will go down. But you need to be very careful because when you short a stock, your potential profits are limited, but your potential losses are unlimited. Yeah, this is exactly the situation that can lead to emotional investing when you have this unlimited liability as the person holding the short position, you might have to make cash payments along the way. They're called margin payments just to maintain your position. That can be a pretty painful space to be in. If this sounds complex, it's because it is. This stuff is definitely not for the amateur investor. In our view, you can make perfectly good, safe returns by investing in equities, by buying good quality companies and holding them for the long term. You may have heard about options or derivatives and you should probably stay away from these unless you really know what you're doing even then you should be very careful about using them because they can magnify your losses there are some really specific conditions when you can use options and derivatives to minimize your risk 
and to hedge certain positions and to protect yourself against certain factors. But it's tough to do well. You really have to have a lot of experience in this space. Approach this area with real caution. So, Luke, what are our key takeaways this week? So, key takeaways for me, I think top of the list is. Don't invest money you're going to need in the next five years. If you suddenly have to sell when the market's in a hole, that's going to really hurt. If it hits too much to see your stocks go down, simply don't check your stocks too often. And remember to diversify your investments and use dollar cost averaging as you build a position to smooth out the effects of volatility in the short term. If you want to sell an investment, make sure you have a good reason to sell. Don't just sell because the market is down. And similarly, don't just sell because the market's up. Try to treat market downturns as opportunities to buy. Staying the course through short-term volatility is often the key to longer-term success. That was a good discussion, Albert. I've learned quite a lot about managing my own emotions. It always helps to talk about this stuff. I think we learned this over 20 years of investing. We've been through three big market downturns: the dot-com crash in the early 2000s, the financial crisis in 2008, and this year, the coronavirus pandemic. Each time, it's been easy to handle because we've developed these habits and these guidelines to help us trade more rationally. Absolutely, and we'll be using the Telescope Investing website articles and this podcast to share some of that knowledge that we've built up over the last twenty years. Okay, Albert. Well, I think we should wrap it up. Well, before we go, we would like to say a happy birthday to a good friend of ours, an investing wise owl from London, Nikki. Happy birthday, Nikki! Wishing you all the best. Yes, happy birthday, Nikki. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Telescope Investing podcast, you can find more content at our website, telescopeinvesting.com, where you can leave us a comment or review. And if this is your first time tuning in, perhaps consider subscribing to the website so you're the first to hear about new articles and episodes as they drop. Thanks, Albert. Thanks, Luke. This podcast is for general information and is not a recommendation to act. Please seek independent investment advice before entering into any financial transaction. Entering into a transaction that involves securities or derivatives puts your capital at risk. Luke and Albert are not regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority or the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, and the companies mentioned in this podcast may be held personally biased. We can't be held responsible or liable for any action taken by a listener, and as ever, past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. Thanks, and happy investing.